Section 1, Part 1 of Reveries of a Bachelor, or A Book of the Heart, by Eke Marvel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Smoke, signifying doubt. A wife, thought I? Yes, a wife, and why not? And pray, my dear sir, why not? Why? Why not doubt? Why not hesitate? Why not tremble? Does a man buy a ticket in a lottery? A poor man, whose whole earnings go in to secure the ticket, without trembling, hesitating, and doubting? Can a man stake his bachelor respectability, his independence and comfort, upon the die of absorbing, unchanging, relentless marriage, without trembling at the venture? Shall a man who has been free to chase his fancies over the wide world, without let or hindrance, shut himself up to marriage-ship within four walls called home, that are to claim him, his time, his trouble, and his tears, thenceforth forevermore, without doubts thick and thick coming as smoke? Shall he who has been hitherto a mere observer of other men's cares and business, moving off where they made him sick of heart, approaching whenever and wherever they made him gleeful, shall he now undertake administration of just such cares and business without qualms shall he whose whole life has been but a nimble succession of escapes from trifling difficulties now broach without doubtings that matrimony where if difficulty beset him there is no escape shall this brain of mine careless working never tired with idleness feeding on long vagaries and high gigantic castles dreaming out beatitudes hour by hour, turn itself at length to such dull task-work as thinking out a livelihood for wife and children? Whence thereforward will be those sunny dreams, in which I have warmed my fancies, and my heart, and lighted my eye with crystal? This very marriage, which a brilliant working imagination has invested time and again with brightness and delight, can serve no longer as a mine for teeming fancy all alas will be gone reduced to the dull standard of the actual no more room for intrepid forays of imagination no more gorgeous realm-making all will be over why not i thought go on dreaming can any wife be prettier than an after-dinner fancy idle and yet vivid can paint for you can any children make less noise than the little rosy-cheeked ones who have no existence except in the omnium gatherum of your own brain can any housewife be more unexceptionable than she who goes sweeping daintily the cobwebs that gather in your dreams can any domestic larder be better stocked than the private larder of your head dozing on a cushioned chair-back at delmonico's can any family purse be better filled than the exceeding plump one you dream of after reading such pleasant books as munchausen or typee but if after all it must be duty or what not making provocation what then and i clapped my feet hard against the fire-dogs and leaned back and turned my face to the ceiling as much as to say and where on earth then shall a poor devil look for a wife somebody says littleton or shaftesbury i think that marriages would be happier if they were all arranged by the lord chancellor unfortunately 
we have no lord chancellor to make this commutation of our misery shall a man then scour the country on a mule's back like honest gil blas of santillane or shall he make application to some such intervening providence as madame saint mark who as i see by the press manages these matters to one's hand for some five per cent on the fortunes of the parties i have trouted when the brook was so low and the sky so hot that i might as well have flown my fly upon the turnpike and i have hunted hare at noon and woodcock in snow-time never despairing scarce doubting but for a poor hunter of his kind without traps or snares or any aid of police or constabulary to traverse the world where are swarming on a moderate computation some three hundred and odd millions of unmarried women for a single capture irremediable unchangeable and yet a captive which by strange metonymy not laid down in the books is very apt to turn captor into captive and make game of hunter all this surely surely may make a man shrug with doubt then again there are the plaguy wife's relations who knows how many third fourth or fifth cousins will appear at careless complimentary intervals long after you had settled into the placid belief that all congratulatory visits were at an end how many twisted-headed brothers will be putting in their advice as a friend to peggy how many maiden aunts will come to spend a month or two with their dear peggy and want to know every tea-time if she isn't a dear love of a wife then dear father-in-law will beg taking dear peggy's hand in his to give a little wholesome counsel and will be very sure to advise just the contrary of what you had determined to undertake and dear mamma-in-law must set her nose into peggy's cupboard and insist upon having the key to your own private locker in the wainscot then perhaps there is a little bevy of dirty-nosed nephews who come to spend the holidays and eat up your east india sweetmeats and who are forever tramping over your head or raising the old harry below while you are busy with your clients last and worst is some fidgety old uncle forever too cold or too hot who vexes you with his patronizing airs and impudently kisses his little peggy that could be borne however for perhaps he has promised his fortune to peggy peggy then will be rich and the thought made me rub my shins which were now getting comfortably warm upon the fire-dogs then she will be forever talking of her fortune and pleasantly reminding you on occasion of a favourite purchase how lucky that she had the means and dropping hints about economy and buying very extravagant paisleys she will annoy you by looking over the stock list at breakfast time and mention quite carelessly to your clients that she is interested in such or such a speculation she will be provokingly silent when you hint to a tradesman that you have not the money by you for his small bill in short she will tear the life out of you making you pay in righteous retribution of annoyance grief vexation shame and sickness of heart for the superlative folly of marrying rich but if not rich then poor bah the thought made me stir the coals but there was still no blaze 
the paltry earnings you are able to wring out of clients by the sweat of your brow will now be all our income you will be pestered for pin money and pestered with your poor wife's relations ten to one she will stickle about taste servistos and want to make this so pretty and that so charming if she only had the means and is sure paul a kiss can't deny his little peggy such a trifling sum and all for the common benefit then she for one means that her children shan't go a-begging for clothes and another pull at the purse trust a poor mother to dress her children in finery perhaps she is ugly not noticeable at first but growing on her and what is worse growing faster on you you wonder why you didn't see that vulgar nose long ago and that lip it is very strange you think that you ever thought it pretty and then to come to breakfast with her hair looking as it does and you not so much as daring to say peggy do brush your hair her foot too not very bad when decently chaussy but now since she's married she does wear such infernal slippers and yet for all this to be prigging up for an hour when any of my old chums come to dine with me bless your kind hearts my dear fellows said i thrusting the tongs into the coals and speaking out loud as if my voice could reach from virginia to paris not married yet perhaps peggy is pretty enough only shrewish no matter for cold coffee you should have been up before what sad thin poorly cooked chops to eat with your rolls she thinks they are very good and wonders how you can set such an example to your children the butter is nauseating she has no other and hopes you'll not raise a storm about butter a little turned i think i see myself ruminated i sitting meekly at table scarce daring to lift up my eyes utterly fagged out with some quarrel of yesterday choking down detestably sour muffins that my wife thinks are delicious slipping in dried mouthfuls of burned ham off the side of my fork tines slipping off my chair sideways at the end and slipping out with my hat between my knees to business and never feeling myself a competent sound-minded man till the oak door is between me and peggy ha ha not yet said i and in so earnest a tone that my dog started to his feet cocked his eye to have a good look into my face met my smile of triumph with an amiable wag of the tail and curled up again in the corner again peggy is rich enough well enough mild enough only she doesn't care a fig for you she has married you because father or grandfather thought the match eligible and because she didn't wish to disoblige them besides she didn't positively hate you and thought you were a respectable enough young person she has told you so repeatedly at dinner she wonders you like to read poetry she wishes you would buy her a good cookbook and insists upon you making your will at the birth of the first baby she thinks captain so-and-so a splendid-looking fellow and wishes you would trim up a little were it only for appearances sake you need not hurry up from the office so early at night she bless her dear heart does not feel lonely you read to her a love tale 
she interrupts the pathetic parts with directions to her seamstress you read of marriages she sighs and asks if captain so-and-so has left town she hates to be mewed up in a cottage or between brick walls she does so love the springs but again peggy loves you at least she swears it with her hand on the sorrows of werther she has pin-money which she spends for the literary world and the friends in council she is not bad-looking save a bit too much of forehead nor is she sluttish unless a negligee till three o'clock and an ink-stain on the forefinger be sluttish but then she is such a sad blue you never fancied when you saw her buried in a three-volumed novel that it was anything more than a girlish vagary and when she quoted latin you thought innocently that she had a capital memory for her samplers but to be bored eternally about divine dante and funny goldoni is too bad your copy of tasso a treasure print of sixteen eighty is all bethumbed and dog-eared and spotted with baby gruel even your seneca and elzevir is all sweaty with handling she adores la fontaine reads balzac with a kind of artistic scowl and will not let greek alone you hint at broken rest and an aching head at breakfast and she will fling you a scrap of anthology in lieu of the camphor bottle or chant the ayaye ayaye of tragic chorus the nurse is getting dinner you are holding the baby peggy is reading bruyere the fire smoked thick as pitch and puffed out little clouds over the chimney-place i gave the four-stick a kick at the thought of peggy baby and bruyere suddenly the flame flickered bluely athwart the smoke caught at a twig below rolled round the mossy oak stick twined among the crackling tree-limbs mounted lit up the whole body of smoke and blazed out cheerily and bright doubt vanished with smoke and hope began with flame end of part one